You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Hey, um, we're going to do some like old school, good old fashioned Bible study uh, today. So if you haven't downloaded the Uversion app, I really encourage you to, um, to do that and go ahead and get to it. If you have downloaded the Uversion app, you are most definitely going to need um, the app today. If you don't have the app or do not want to download the app, then you can go to the website, queensworkchristianchurch.org, hit the resources tab, and download the, I think it says something like notes for today or something, I forget what it says, but there's a, there's a download um, for you. It's a Word document. I think it's about 10 pages. Don't be, uh, don't be alarmed. Um, it's about 10 pages, though, I do believe. And it will um, give you an idea as to what we're doing. Because we're going to go through a lot of Scripture today. And I want to make sure that you can, if at all possible, follow along. Um, we are going to move through Scripture fairly quickly. Um, and that is purposeful. Because I want, to, I want you to notice something as we move through Scripture quickly. I want you to notice it. And if we belabor the point every time we read the scripture, um, we might lose the theme of it all. All right. So, but before we do, if you have your Bibles, uh, um, go ahead and if you would to Second Peter. I want to read something and uh, kind of set the stage. And I want to time this well. We could do this for real, like for an hour. You wouldn't. So, um, yeah. So let's do this. Second Peter chapter one, verse. Oh, wow. Where are we? Oh, let's just start verse 3. Here's Peter's words. Probably his last letter. So he's, he's old Peter, like the old pastor Peter. God's divine power has given us everything. So say everything. Yeah, everything. Hey, I'm going to need all y'all. Hey, kids over there, I need y'all to participate. Um, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Knowledge. Knowledge in the Greek word is epinosis. It means experiential knowledge. So the knowledge isn't knowing facts and figures and information. So now check it out. So God's divine power has given me and you and all of us everything we need, everything, everything required actually, required, because the language there is required, for life and godliness through the experience of Christ who called us by his own goodness and glory. So there's nothing you lack to be faithful to God. There's nothing I lack that um, would keep me from living a godly life. Nothing. I want to repeat it again. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Everything. So what God has called us to, He has equipped us for. Right? All right. Four. Verse four. By these, He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may share in the divine nature. We can participate in God's life. Escaping the corruption that is in the world. Not in individuals. Not in individual hearts, like we like to talk about. Not in personal. That's in the world. The cosmos. That's a social reality of evil. Please. 
catch this, that's a social reality of evil. It's not just Aaron's evil and Fred's evil and John's evil. It's the systems, the family systems, the cultural systems, the, the institute, the things that we end up creating that also form us in light of the reign of sin and death that we also then participate in and help uphold the reign of sin and death. Think family systems if, if you can't think cultural systems. It's the same concept. Every relational system is organized around values and ethics, beliefs. And if those values, ethics, and beliefs are not of the kingdom and they're contrary to the kingdom and they are reflective of the evil inside of me, then the values, ethics, and beliefs that form that system will then manifest and continue to promote evil, sinful values, ethics, and beliefs. The word world is important. So, let me start at verse 4. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption. We don't escape the world, but we can, we can be removed from the corruption. It doesn't have to corrupt us. It doesn't have to corrupt our family systems, our relational systems, our institute, the things that we are part of. It doesn't have to corrupt us. That is in the world because of evil desires. For this reason, now please stay with me, verse 5. For this reason, make every effort. Everybody say, make every effort. Yeah, make every effort. That doesn't say make efforts when it's convenient, Fred, right? It doesn't say make efforts when you agree to the effort. It doesn't say make effort sometimes. It says make every effort. Grace, which we are saved by grace alone. Hold to that. Grace is opposed to earning. We don't earn it, but it is not opposed to effort. Because I am liberated from the reign of sin and death, I should live my life right? Like I should commit to make every effort to supplement your faith. Supplement. It's like little vitamins. Supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. Godliness with affection, family affection. And family affection with love. So here's what I hear. Here's what I hear in the text. I hear that if I want to have goodness, I have to make effort to cultivate a life of goodness. Are y'all with me? Here, I got self-esteem problems. This camera's hurting me here. So y'all, we good? I need people. Kids, y'all good? I, I tell you, these kids are great. I mean, they are really listening. For this very reason, make every effort. So if I want goodness, it takes effort. If I want to know and experience Christ, it takes effort. If I want self-control, it takes effort. If I want endurance, it takes effort. If I want godliness, it takes effort. If I want family affection, it takes effort. If I want to love, it takes effort. That's not new to any of us, I don't think. But I think sometimes we forget that the Christian life requires effort. We're not working our way to heaven. We're not working our way to God. We already have God, and heaven awaits. We are simply working to bring a little bit of heaven to earth. We're working to manifest the presence of God that is in my life, in the life of others. We are submitting, learning, and obedient. Now look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, which takes effort, we don't stumble into it, right? They will keep you from being useless. <laughs> Peter, Peter pulls the punches like, if you don't want to be useless, then you have to make effort. Right? Like, that's what you do. It'll keep you from being useless 
or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. We can know everything about the Bible. We can quote a book, chapter, and verse. We can be well-versed in our party politics, that are moralities and ethics and all that. We can be well-versed in history. We can do all that. But if we, if we want to keep from being useless and unfruitful in that, we have to make effort. Grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. We have to make decisions. We have to change priorities. We have to put ourselves in a position to listen rather than to speak. We have to put ourselves in a position to speak when we should speak. We have to put ourselves in a position to love people we don't want to love. Like Miss Aaron said, we have to put ourselves in a position where we can extend kinship love to strangers. If we don't welcome strangers into our life, people that are strange to us, then how does God create within us a spirit of hospitality? So we have to make effort. But these qualities are yours and are increasing. They will keep you from being useful, useless and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing I want to say. Verse 9, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing of sins from the past. One of the reasons why I get short-sighted, can't see the proverbial forest for the trees, can't reckon with the fact that there is institutional and social evils in this world is because I've just grown short-sighted in my theology. Grown short-sighted in what I see God doing in the totality of Scripture. Maybe I have taken on a gospel that is very thin and very anemic, where the only thing about the gospel I have to contend with is that Jesus died to save me from my sins. I can go to heaven when I die. And so the gospel becomes about saving me from my sin. But there's a saving into something. And then it's also not just from my sins that I'm liberated from. I'm also liberated from the social reality of the reign of sin. Which means then once I'm liberated from those things, I have to live like I have been liberated. That's why I think the word liberated is a really strong word. Freedom is different than liberation. Liberation means someone had to set us free. And we're always learning what it means to be liberated. I am saved, now I learn what it means to be saved. I've been made holy, now I learn how to be holy. I have been liberated, now I learn how to live liberated lives. And then I join God in holiness, I join God in salvation, I join God in liberation. I'm saved from something into something. I'm not just saved from something. And I'm not just saved from my personal sin, I'm saved from the corruption of the world's evil desires. That all takes effort. What I want to do today, I want to do some brain um, so that maybe we can do some hands and feet effort. So uh, if you have your notes in the version app, I'm going to do something. Uh, I'm going to give you the gospel, what I think is gospel in three words. Right, the gospel in three words. Ready? Jesus is the gospel. Now, I want to offer um, the gospel in 33 words. There's gospel in three words, Jesus is Lord, and I want to give you the gospel in 33 words. The gospel literally translates good news. Let me pause. Sorry. The word gospel is not a New Testament idea. Gospel was a term that was used in Greco-Roman cultures, which is when a good bit of the Bible was given. That meant an announcement. The gospel is an announcement. So, so in war, for example, a, a warrior might come in on a horse as a messenger. Euangelion um, is made up of two words. Euangelion is messenger. Um, and so the messenger would come in on the horse, and he would say, I proclaim the gospel of Caesar. I proclaim the gospel of the king. So the gospel wasn't just a biblical, it's not just a Christian word. It has other meaning. It has secular, if you want to use that language, meaning, socio-political meaning. It was really a political word. Um, 
So I want to give you the gospel in 33 words. Okay, Gospel in three words, Jesus is Lord. The gospel in 33 words. Jesus is God with us to show us God's love, liberate us from the reign of sin and death into God's kingdom of grace to share in God's life both now and forever. Okay, 33 words. And I'm not, I don't have 33 fingers, so I can't do this thing, right? Jesus is God with us to show us God's love, liberate us from the reign of sin and death into God's kingdom of grace to share in God's life both now and forever. Aaron was saying it, she would say both now and forever. Gospel in 33 words. Now, I want to give you the gospel in a story. God has come to us in the person of Jesus to disrupt the world as we know it for the sake of an alternative world that is in line with the realities of God's promises, the coming future. Jesus is Israel's Messiah King, proclaimed the coming of the kingdom of God as good news, as gospel, and demonstrated the nature of God's reign in the world by proclaiming the forgiveness of sins, healing the sick, casting out demons, eating with tax collectors and sinners, and welcoming all hearers to leave the realities of the old world that is passing away, the reign of sin and death, the old way of doing things, and enter into the hope that is broken in through his reign as revealed in his person. God has come and is coming, offering us hope. Hope that the world and its principalities and powers are incapable of giving. A restored world of self-giving love, of abiding peace, of unending joy that flow from the fullness of God's presence. And it's a world that through the inbreaking kingdom has come into the present through the crucified, resurrected, an ascended Lord, yet is a world that will come fully in his return in the consummation of his kingdom. That's the gospel in story. Huge. Lots of story. That's why I want to give you gospel in three words, and gospel in 33 words, and the gospel in what could be 133 words. I don't know how this is going to work. Here's what I want to do. I want to go through the gospel. And that's going to take time. So, Mark chapter 1. I'm going to turn, even though I've got all the notes here, so I'm going to turn in my Bible to find it. That way I can try to keep up with those who are having to go with, with me here. So stay with me, okay? And there's going to be a lot of Bible reading, but I want you to see it. I want you to see that the gospel is not simply, simply Jesus died to save me from my sins. The gospel is the kingdom of God has come. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. The gospel is about the kingdom. The gospel is not about getting saved. The gospel is about the kingdom, which because the gospel is about the kingdom, salvation is found. We, we, wanna, we, wanna, we don't want to do the work, right? So I want to... I Push back against the idea that justification by faith is central to the gospel. I do not believe the scriptures teach us that justification by faith is central to the gospel. An implication of the gospel? Absolutely. Essential to the gospel? Absolutely. But central, the centrality of the good news message Jesus himself uncovers is that the reign of God has been made available to all people and anyone is welcome and it is common. You got to choose. Repent and believe. You got to choose. All right? So that's why Mark gets after this thing. Mark's like me. He just wants to get to it. Right, so Mark's chapter 1, verse 14. If John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the what? The gospel, or announcing God's gospel, saying, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. 
Change your hearts and lives and trust in the good news. So Jesus' gospel isn't, I have come to die to save you from your sins. Jesus' gospel is, the kingdom of God has come. You want to live for Caesar's kingdom? How's that working for you? You want to live for your own kingdoms? How's that working for you? Do you want to live for the kingdom of God that has come? Change your heart. Repent and believe. All right. So you know it's not a one-off. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Again, if you have your version app, it's all there for you. You can even get ahead if you'd like. By about six of these, you're going to be like, okay, Fred, I get it. But here's the thing. I want to make sure we do. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Well, what did he begin to preach, Matthew? He preached this, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, why kingdom of heaven versus kingdom of God? Because Jesus is pointing to the reality that the kingdom originates from heaven. Like the kingdom of Rome. Like Rome may be everywhere back then, in a sense, but it originates from Rome. It may be in Ephesus, Corinth, of Rome. Kingdom of heaven, it originates. This is Jesus' way of comparing the kingdom of Rome to the kingdom of heaven. In Mark's gospel, it's the kingdom of God comparing it to the kingdom of Caesar. In Matthew's gospel, it's the kingdom of heaven comparing it to the kingdom of Caesar. I think we forget, like, we act like Jesus didn't live in a real place in Caesar. A brown-skinned, Jewish, God-made man, Nazareth, lived under the rule of Rome and read the Old Testament. That's the particular location. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. So just turn just a little bit more. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching what? What did he preach? That he died to save us from our sins, that we need to have good morals, that we should have particular... No, he preached the gospel of the kingdom and demonstrated that by healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus is preaching something so radically that miracles needed to accompany it. Because if miracles didn't accompany it, he's just going to sound like a, 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 a something else. I don't know. I've lost my words. But maybe too political, or maybe crazy, or too rebellious. Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, verse 11. Luke chapter 9, verse 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 11. Again, I want you to see the theme of what the gospel is, how the Bible talks about the gospel. Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 11. When the crowds found out they followed Jesus, he welcomed them and spoke to them about what? Kingdom of God. And healed those who needed healing. What did he speak to them about? The kingdom of God. The reign of God. God's reign is at work in the world. You got to line up with it. Choose. Choose which reign you want. All right, is everybody with me? Sherry, Tammy, Aaron, John, everybody? Everybody with me? We're all good? People? Family? Y'all with me? Let's keep going. Luke chapter 9, verse 62. But Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. It's fit for the kingdom of God. That's a tough language. When Jesus is in this whole uh, discourse where people, where Jesus is saying things like, um, you know, following me is going to come with a cost. Ooh, ooh, Luke chapter 9, if you look at verse 57, people come to Jesus like, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, are you sure about that? Foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but I don't have a place to lay my head. I'm kind of homeless. And then he said to another, follow me. And the guy says, I need to go bury my dad real quick. And 
Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, but go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. That's verse 16. See, that's divisive. Jesus is being divisive. Not, not because he wants to be divisive. He's calling us to peace. We have to Another also said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first go say goodbye to Moses and my house. Which sounds reasonable. And then that's when Jesus says, no one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He doesn't say you're not going to get in it. He just says you're not fit for it. You know, you're not going to be able to live in it. We cannot, we cannot walk this way and look back. It's not going to work. We'll still go forward, but we'll bump into a lot of things along the way. We cannot pledge our allegiance to the kingdom of God where we pledge our allegiance and think we're going to live fully in the kingdom of God, making every effort as a call. That's what Jesus is saying, I think. Which is why when Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. He's saying, your kingdom come. May the reality of your reign be made known in my life. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 through 21. Look at it. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 through 21. Again, about this reign of God being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come because they were waiting for the reign of God to make itself known, to turn over Rome's reign, right? To give them back their politics, their government, because they were oppressed. They were, they were basically, um, they had people who had come into their uh, territory. They were, in, they were being occupied by Rome. And the Pharisees, religious and political leaders, look at Jesus and says, you've been talking a lot about this reign of God. You keep saying it's going to come. So tell us, boss, when it's going to come. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. He's not going to come in with tanks and bows and arrows and spears and swords. It's not going to come with something observable. And then he says, well, no one will say, see here or there. God's not coming in on a horse, a war horse, right? Like Jesus says, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. It is right before you. The reign of God is in your and in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, he gives an exhortation, and he says, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what's the gospel? Is the gospel, well, you're a sinner, and you have broken the law of God, and you need to be saved from your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. Have your sins forgiven. Have a, rela a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, that's beautiful. It matters so much. That, that's the implication. That's the outcome. The gospel is an announcement. Hey, I need to let you know that Capitol Hill is not our hope. Calvary's hope. Because there the kingdom of God is. Hey, I need you to know that splitting allegiances with nation states and others is going to hurt you try to split that with the reign of God, you have to choose because the reign of God is coming. Hey, the good news is when all other nation states are footnotes in the pages of history, the kingdom of God Hey, the good news is you don't have to reign in your own life. You don't have to be the king of your own castle. You don't have to fix yourself. You, can't. you don't have to figure it out. Good news to you is that the reign of God has come and has the power to give you everything you need for life and God. All of this good news. You know what makes it not good news? 
when we don't want the reign of God to mess with our allegiance, when we don't want the reign of God to draw us out of what we want into what God wants. That's when it's not good news. That's when it's irritating. That's what Jesus says when he says to us, I need you to trust. I need you to turn from one allegiance to another. There's probably on the screen some words, right, Sherry? In one corner, I guess, right, is the words abstract generality. In another corner is the word concrete. I found that it's much easier to talk about the kingdom of God in abstract generality. Hey, the reign of God is coming. Everybody's welcome. And you get to share in God's life, right? Kingdom of grace. When you die, you don't really die. You're with God forever. And that's beautiful. We're good news. Good news. We're good news. That's very abstract in general. Concrete specifics of the gospel would be You're trying to rule your life and the lives of those you love. You're trying to control life. You're trying to manage life and determine all the rules and what's good and right, what's just and unjust. You're trying to say what is just and unjust. And the kingdom of God has already said it. The scriptures have already spoken. The good news is you don't have to carry that burden. You don't have to carry the pressure of determining what's just and unjust. You can just call a thing. You can say that racial and hostility is of the devil. You can say that social reality of evil exists in the world. You can say that loving an enemy means I can't take an enemy's life. Because you can't take the life of something you love. It doesn't hold up. And those are concrete specifics. We're comfortable in the abstract generality. But the concrete specific means to be pro-life means I'm for all of life at all times without any authority given to myself to determine which lives get to live and which lives don't. Being pro the sanctity of marriage means that husbands and wives must love each other like Christ loved the church. There must be mutual submission. There is life-giving relationships. Where love cultivates life rather than abuse, harm, death. Those are concrete. Concrete specifics is we don't get to split allegiance. That's the thing. But we say that because that's what Jesus said. See, the reality of the world is that the devil is in charge. And I know that we we like to say that God is in control, but that's actually not the kind of control I think we mean and what the Scripture means may sometimes not be the same. See, when the devil in Matthew chapter 4 brought Jesus to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said, I will give you all these things if you bow down and worship me, Jesus didn't say, no, they're all mine. Jesus just said, go away. And there's a reason, because in John chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, go there. In John chapter 12, listen how Jesus talks about the devil. Jesus said, the voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus calls the devil the ruler of this world. Look at John chapter 14. Look at John chapter 14, verse 29. Stay with me. Not going to go much longer. Verse 29. 
I have told you now before it happens so that when it may happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you any longer because the ruler of this world is coming. John chapter 16, verse 8. When he comes, he will convict, talking about the Spirit of God, will convict the world about sin, righteousness, justice, and judgment. About sin because they do not believe me. About justice because I'm going to the Father. You'll no longer see me. And about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So see, that's why Jesus has to say things in like Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33. Don't worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink and what we're going to wear. Gentiles long after those things, but your heavenly Father knows what you need, so don't worry about that. Seek first the reign of God in your life. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. That is why Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 23, when he looked at his disciples, man, it is hard for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God because there's a lot of self-sufficiency. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 9, anyone who hears the word about the kingdom, Matthew 13, verse 19, I'm sorry, anyone who hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. And that is why 1 John, if you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 5, John was consistent in his theology. In 1 John chapter 5, you know, all the way back to the um, end of the New Testament, just about 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, listen to what he says. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil. The reign of sin and death is at work, and it has a ruler. There is a social reality to evil. There is institutional sin, systemic racism. These things are systemic. We can say that, not because of some notion of critical race theory. I mean, you may not know what I'm talking about there, and that's fine, but some of you do. Not because of that. It's not because of a sociological theory. It's because of a social reality of evil. It's because of the theology of a social reality of evil that's at work in the world, that there is a ruler who is at work in the world through what Paul says, the principalities and the powers and the rulers of this age at work among us, which is about the battles not flesh and blood. There is a social reality at work in the systems and the institutions and the structures and the narratives of the world and people are willing to participate in it when we are not living in accordance with the reign of God in the world. What I'm simply trying to say, brothers and sisters, is that there is good news for us in a world filled with hostility. Good news for us is that we are in the reign of the kingdom of God. And we live by an entirely different politic. Politic meaning governance. Rules of government. We live by different rules that govern our lives. So we then press into loving enemies. We then press into oppressed and oppressor. We then call out in peacemaking rather than peacekeeping. We don't leave in, we don't live in abstract generality. We live in concrete specifics. We can't stand up in an assembly and say, all are welcomed into the kingdom of God and then choose who gets to come in and who doesn't. It's not genuine, right? Like we can't do that. The good news is we are free. Man, listen. I am grateful for the news that the kingdom of God has come, not just because I get to go to heaven when I die, but I don't have to be the Lord because I would be a terrible one. We eat chicken wings all the time, basically. Like, I, I just, I don't have to control my life. I don't have to be the Lord of my life. Now, the hard part is I have to make every effort to live in light of the Lordship of Jesus. I have to make effort. That's called discipleship, right, y'all? That's what we call discipleship. 
Jesus didn't call us to be Christians. He called us to be followers. He hands us the keys of the kingdom, and he says, you're good. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's never going to be in trouble. Hey, you know what? Let me give you an example of the reign of God in Christ. You know, we were about $21,000 behind in our outgoing funds and incoming funds and the pandemic hit and all. Did you know that by the grace of God, because Jesus is king of a kingdom, and he, I think, honors faithfulness, that by the grace of God, we will end this fiscal year $101 in the black. Isn't that crazy? It's not like God was like, let me give you 50000 extra. He's like, I'll just give you, give you a Benjamin and a dollar. That's the reign of God in Christ. We don't have to stress and strain. We just have to pursue being faithful. What is the gospel? Jesus is Lord. That's the gospel in three words. What is the gospel in 33 words? Jesus is God with us. Show us God's love. Liberate us from the reign of sin and death and into God's kingdom of grace. Share in God's love. It's now and forever. And that is not an abstract generality. That is a concrete specific where we give to those who ask without expectation of return. Luke chapter 2. We love enemies. Where we love our neighbors. We love ourselves. Where we treat others as we want to be treated. Where we stand with the vulnerable and the oppressed when powers are ill distributed, ill-distributed into the lives of people and hurting people. We enter into suffering. As children of the suffering servant, we enter into the suffering of others to serve. Because we can, because we're children of the King of Kings. We're going to lose friends because we live in allegiance to the kingdom of God and it's going to break our hearts. But we have to live into the allegiance of the kingdom of God. I have people I deeply love in my family who do not think I am a Christian. Who are very devout Christians themselves. Because their understanding of the gospel is very different than mine. I've done my best. If you print this off, I have given you the best I can. Like literally, what is it? 10 pages, 11 pages of scripture for you to unearth to see the beauty of the gospel. See, the gospel teaches me that Jesus is with us and that the altar of sacrifice has been replaced with a table that celebrates and remembers the sacrifice. We're in the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. We have life. That grace and receiving the kingdom of God is not an earning I have to accomplish, but requires an effort if I am to experience the beauty of that kingdom. Christ has already died, has already risen, and has already ascended as king, and he's invited us into life with him. He's invited us to the table. And he's invited Tammy, and Sherry, and Charlie, and John, and Aaron, And if skunks were made in the image of God, skunks. Cats, if they weren't spawns of Satan, cats. He's invited all humans made in the image of God to the table. We don't get to choose. And that is liberating. Because let's be honest, sometimes we just rather choose. But I'm not the king. Neither are you. That is good. 
news because he loves us. He knows us. And he says to us that whatever it is we think that could ever keep us from him is a lie of the devil. There is nothing that could keep us from him. We must simply be willing. So we receive the bread and we receive the cup. The bread that is the body. The cup that is the blood of the one who knows us best, loves us most, and sets us free. Let's pray. Glorious God and Father, thank you for delivering us and liberating us from the reign of sin and death and the kingdom of the Son that you love. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us all that we need, as Peter said, that is required for godliness. Thank you for liberating us from having to be in charge. Thank you for liberating us from having to seek perfection. But you did not call us to perfection. You called us to faithfulness. Thank you for giving us your spirit, who by we are able to live faithfully. Teach us to submit, to surrender, to trust and to simply receive the body and the blood of Christ. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 